Today on Not Sam Wrestling, John Cena is back. We look at what happened at WWE Payback. Oh, and the biggest news in the history of AEW since CM Punk was hired, CM Punk is fired. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host, from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh my gosh. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, everybody. Hope uh, you had a tremendous weekend full of wrestling. You know, it's a good time. It's always a good time to be a wrestling fan. When is it a bad time to be a wrestling fan? But... It's been a great weekend. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. I guess it depends on how you look at the weekend, just in terms of consuming wrestling, right? This was probably, in terms of sheer amount, if we start the weekend on Friday, then we had SmackDown, Collision, Payback, and All Out. So just in terms of national, giant American wrestling promotion matches, boy, did we get our fill. And speaking of Phil, if you like talking about wrestling, if you like the inner workings of what's going on behind the scenes at your favorite wrestling organizations, what a weekend. We will talk about it all, of course. Uh, I like to keep you updated on what's going on here with Not Sam Wrestling. Real quick, uh, I hope by now that you're all subscribed to the YouTube channel as well as the audio feed of your choice, whether it be Apple, whether it be Spotify, because... We are dropping additional content almost on a weekly basis at this point. Uh, this week on Thursday morning, we dropped the live show, Not Sam Wrestling, live in Detroit. Uh, that went out on the YouTube channel and on the audio feed featuring uh, Riddick Moss doing a great interview talking about how he got involved in wrestling as well as the creation of Madcap Moss and everything. And then Dave LaGreca from Busted Open and Chris Van Vliet joining me on stage two for a super pod. So if you haven't listened to or watched that already, you can. It's available wherever you're getting this show. And if you go to my Twitter bio, if you go to Twitter slash not Sam, you'll see there's a, a link to my link tree, whatever it is, linkter.ee slash not Sam, you know, not Sam on link tree. There's a, a, a box on top of the link tree where you can put your email address in and you join the not Sam email list that's where i can send stuff out like that email list got the got the nod first that the live show had gone up on all of our youtube and and audio platforms well one week from the day this podcast comes out that's a week from monday the next not sam limited merch drop is happening over at notsam.com it'll go up uh, a week from Monday in the morning, uh, it'll be a limited time only. The merch will be available. It's my favorite merch drop we've ever done. I'm really, really excited to show you guys. It's not Sam Wrestling merch, and it'll only be available within the window of the time frame. Of course, when we unveiled the last logo, merch became available. We did t-shirts, we did tank tops, we did shorts. It was available, then it was gone. If you missed out, you missed out. So join that email list so you get an email blast uh, as soon as that sale starts next week. And I'll remind you guys when we meet again on the podcast uh, next week. But before we do, let's talk about um, where we're at today. Uh, I think it's fitting 
that we talk about the entire, look at the entire scope of this thing as we discuss the legacy and the career, the run of CM Punk in AEW. Because as of right now, it looks like it's come to a close. This is, since its inception, not that long ago, I would say the biggest This Week in CM Punk segment that we've ever, ever done. So let's uh, let's jump in the DeLorean and let's go back in time to August 20th, 2021. The first dance, it was, it was mere months after fans started regularly being let into arenas at full capacity again after the pandemic. Um, and in an extremely expected but incredibly well-received, surprised, uh, unannounced moment, CM Punk enters AEW for the first time, and more importantly, returns to the world of professional wrestling for the first time since he left the WWE right after the 2014, I want to say, Royal Rumble. Seven years, seven years out the game. And I think it's important to remember that as you as you look at the history where we were you know, only two years ago, in August of 2021, everybody felt this, this, this void. There there, there was, there was this sort of never getting to finish what was started with CM Punk in the world of, of professional wrestling. He, he was missed. When CM Punk walked out in Chicago, it was one of the top reactions in the history of professional wrestling in general. It was the biggest single moment that AEW ever had, had ever had up until that point, and in my opinion, the biggest single moment they've ever had, period. Uh, Fans rejoiced everywhere. The T-shirt became an instant hot seller. You remember CM Punk crying guy? CM Punk crying guy became a meme, and people defended him. Anytime somebody would make fun of CM Punk is back crying guy, dozens of fans would come to this dude's aid and be like, that's called passion, my friend. That's called seven years of waiting for your favorite superstar to finally make his return. I would love to talk to crying CM Punk fan now and just see how he feels about the way everything turned out. CM Punk uh, was wearing a hoodie that was uh, adorned with the name of his dog, Larry on the side of his chest and he came to the ring and he looked happy. He looked like he was enjoying the reaction that he was getting. He did a, 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 a crowd dive into the audience on his way to the ring. And the first segment of that show, which was not the first episode of Rampage, but one of the early episodes of Rampage was just the entrance. Because you remember, there was all this speculation. While it was very much looking like this is what was happening. And while they sold out the United Center because most of the people buying tickets, and when I say most, I mean the vast majority of the people buying tickets thought that this would be CM Punk's return to professional wrestling, they hadn't announced it. So there was always the chance that it wasn't going to happen, but it really did happen. Cult of Personality came on that. 
their own stat, their own version of the logo with the X'd out hands. It was all back and CM Punk was finally returning. He was showered with CM Punk chants and he let the audience know, I ain't going anywhere. He said, I have a lot to say, a lot to say. And I'm not gonna say it all tonight, but that's okay because we have time. We have Wednesday, we have Friday, we have four pay-per-views a year to get it all off our chest because I ain't going anywhere. I don't think he saw where this was going either. None of us did. He bought everybody in the audience ice cream bars. Everybody was able to leave the building with a free CM Punk ice cream bar, obviously a reference to the uh, pipe bomb promo uh, from WWE. Um, and the wrappers for those ice cream bars ended up going on eBay for like hundreds of dollars after it happened. He told the audience this was his return to professional wrestling, something that he had exited when he left Ring of Honor in 2005. He let the audience know that when he was in Ring of Honor, it was very difficult to leave because that was home. And he knew that the place that he was going, it was gonna be tough for someone like him to survive. But that while he left professional wrestling in 2005, August 20th, 2021 was when he returned to professional wrestling. He started wrestling right away. He went to All Out 2021. By the way, All Out is just becoming synonymous with CM Punk in terms of chapter markers. At All Out 2021, he beat Darby Allen. Darby was the first uh, sort of young talent that CM Punk mentioned in his return promo. Darby and Sting were up in the stands watching CM Punk. And Punk and Darby had Punk's first professional wrestling match back at All Out. Of course, with CM Punk winning, but I guess the philosophy being that Darby didn't have to go over to get over. The first storyline that CM Punk took part in was with Eddie Kingston. Um, Eddie Kingston and CM Punk was the, was, was the first real kind of rivalry that happened in the, in the return career of CM Punk. And that was the moment that like, things started to go, huh, I wonder if there is a little tension, you know, you started to get the feeling that maybe, and who knew, you didn't know if this was storyline or if this was real life. But if you were around in the early 2000s, when the NWO was coming into WWE, the storyline was that Vince McMahon was going to inject poison, a lethal dose of poison into his creation to destroy it. And he was gonna bring back the NWO. But the reality was you read in every dirt sheet that a lot of the talent didn't want Hogan, Hall, and Nash getting into the locker room, that the locker room was in a good place. And uh, the real poison that those guys had at that point a reputation for being in terms of just being political monsters behind the scenes was something that a lot of superstars apparently in, in a very real life way didn't want. Now that worked out fine for that locker room it, the NWO angle wasn't great, but the locker room survived it. You started to get the feeling that that was either happening in AEW or they wanted you believe to believe it was happening in AEW because the promo battles that happened between Eddie Kingston and CM Punk were Eddie Kingston pointing out that CM Punk didn't believe in him 
And CM Punk, I mean, throwing his friends under the bus, saying it wasn't just him, it was Danielson, it was everybody else who thought that Eddie Kingston didn't work up to his full potential. And that's when Eddie Kingston got right in CM Punk's face and said, I'm going to tell you what everybody backstage is afraid to tell you. Nobody wants you here. And it was like, whoa, we hadn't, <laughs> we hadn't heard this before, right? CM Punk ends up uh, uh, beating uh, Eddie Kingston uh, and then went on to have it, the best rivalry that he had, the best storyline that he had in AEW, and arguably the best one that MJF has had with MJF. You could probably argue that whatever's going on with Adam Cole right now is surpassing what MJF did with CM Punk, but the MJF-CM Punk story was magic. You know, it was the story, ironically, of Punk feeling like this young kid who hadn't done much in the industry was not respectful to CM Punk's legacy. Um, at one point, CM Punk said that uh, MJF stood for uh, M jealous fan, my jealous fan, maybe he said, saying that MJF was just a CM Punk fan. They brought out the photo of, of, of MJF meeting CM Punk at an autograph signing. They, they, they went all the way. At one point, uh, uh, CM Punk thought that he had set MJF straight. MJF gave him a hug, but only to give him a low blow. This was this was when MJF really became evil MJF. In fact, it's the first time that MJF really became the devil, borrowing. So much was borrowed from CM Punk's history in Ring of Honor. And there was almost this silent passing of the torch where that sort of most controversial character who through his stories is going to get the entire industry talking whether or not you put the spotlight him or not that was CM Punk at the end of that Ring of Honor run is now MJF because when MJF put CM Punk down he used the line that CM Punk used in Ring of Honor that came from the usual suspects which is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making you forget that he existed and then he screamed at CM Punk that I'm going to prove to you that I'm the devil himself. MJF was able to get CM Punk's first loss. MJF was the first person in AEW to actually score a victory over CM Punk. Of course, the story climaxed with CM Punk, or we thought anyway, with CM Punk getting his victory back in a now classic uh, dog collar match, uh, which was just a, a bloody affair where CM Punk brought back his Ring of Honor shorts, the basketball shorts, and entrance for the very first time. When you when you go back now and you look at, at some of that uh, MJF CM Punk stuff, it really holds up. Absolutely classic. That is peak CM Punk in AEW. Um, in May of, of 2022, at Double or Nothing, CM Punk would beat Adam Page for the AEW championship. So CM Punk, after conquering MJF, would announce that he was in AEW to become the champion. Um, however, before the summer of Punk, part two or three at this point, I don't know, before the 2022 summer of Punk uh, was able to really begin, CM Punk announced that he had a foot injury 
and he was not going to be able to defend his title. Apparently, he had gotten the injury while celebrating his championship victory on the Dynamite that was uh, after Double or Nothing. So he won the title, and then he was jumping up and down because he won it, and he broke his foot. It, I, Apparently, that's how it all went down. Um, while he was gone, John Moxley is crowned the interim champion, right? And this is where stuff starts to get real... Uh, quirky. CM Punk returns at the end of the summer. He still has his belt and John Moxley has his title as the interim champion of AEW. And when Punk returned, he got in the ring and he said, I've got a couple of things to do. Some important, some less important. So let's start with the less important. I want to offer somebody a rematch right now. And he called out Adam Page. He called out Adam Page. The commentators didn't know what to make of it. They said they didn't even know if Adam Page was in the building. And CM Punk, when Adam Page doesn't respond to the challenge at all, no music is played, no nothing. The crowd boos. CM Punk calls him a coward and then says, let's actually move on to important stuff and starts talking about John Moxley. Now, apparently, the road to Adam Page versus CM Punk had gotten far more ugly than any of us had realized. If you go back and watch CM Punk versus Adam Page when CM Punk wins the title, it seems like it's just two people doing business. But apparently resentments had been building and building and building. And when CM Punk went home with that injury, those resentments, not only did they not go anywhere, but they grew because CM Punk felt like there was a, a lack of an apology. In fact, he even referenced in the in the promo where he called out Adam Page that uh, here's a little uh, uh, advice, another shot at Adam Page, who had previously said he didn't want advice from, from older people, that he more valued the uh, trial and error uh, way of doing things. He said something to the effect of, uh, the apology has to be as loud as the offense was. And he moves on. And none of us really knew what he was talking about. But as time goes on, number one, you find out that that was not a scripted part of the show. CM Punk calling out Adam Page was was not something that was supposed to happen. It was not a part of AEW Dynamite. The reason Adam Page didn't respond and look like a coward was because nobody had any idea that CM Punk was going to call this guy out. So he, you know, did everything that he could in his moment to torpedo Adam Page in fans' eyes. So apparently, um, in the buildup to CM Punk versus Adam Page, uh, the tension that was existing in those promos was more real than any of us realized. Uh, uh, at one point... Um, CM Punk was saying, for me, this is just business. I don't know why it's personal for you. Adam Page said it was personal. Uh, Adam Page, uh, and I, I guess this was the major offense, said uh, that CM Punk talks about workers' rights, but ever since showing up in AEW, his actions have proven otherwise, which I suppose was a veiled shot at rumors that CM Punk was accused of getting Colt Cabana taken off of AEW television. 
a rumor that CM Punk later denied, but I guess Adam Page was deciding to reference the rumor. I think most fans at home, at least at first, didn't get that, but Punk got it loud and clear because he talked about making veiled references in that promo. Adam Cole also said that, I mean, Adam Page, I'm sorry, Adam Page also said that uh, this was the first time that he would not just be defending the AEW championship against CM Punk, but he would be defending AEW from CM Punk. Now, looking back, and I remember even, even watching this thing, the whole buildup was very, very strange because if things were going as planned, the road here would be for CM Punk to turn heel. I don't know, like there, there'd be no reason to add all of this sort of, you are what AEW shouldn't be. You don't support your fellow wrestlers. You're lying when you say the things that you're saying. And the locker room, you know, has to be defended against you. If a heel is saying this to you, then we can assume the heel is lying. If a baby face is saying this to you, well, then what is the story that we're telling here? That is the story of everything after MJF and CM Punk. There's one story going on in front of the camera, and there's one story going on behind the camera. And after his return, it never gets on the right page. The more we hear about this, the more it recontextualizes everything that was going on with CM Punk before Adam Cole. Adam Page. I keep saying Adam Cole. Adam Page. Uh, it recontextualizes his rivalry with Eddie Kingston. The fact that it was based around Punk and his friends not thinking Eddie Kingston was doing things the right way. Well, now that makes Punk look like a villain, like a bully. The fact that he was wanting respect from MJF because he was a veteran and saying, you know, MJF, you can't lace my boots because you were a fan of mine. Now... We've recontextualized that, and he's coming across like a villain. The whole thing started to get really, really weird. We also find out that uh, apparently Punk is of the belief that uh, Adam Page and, and his friends and the Young Bucks and whoever are leaking stories about Punk that don't make Punk look good to dirt sheets. Sorry for the interruption, guys, but this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Racing thoughts are the worst. You've all dealt with it. You're trying to go to sleep at night, and the mind just starts going. That's how it works for me. It just starts cycling and cycling and cycling and cycling, reminding you of the dumb things you did five years ago. It's 3 a.m. You're having an existential crisis. A great way to lessen those thoughts is to talk them through with somebody in therapy through BetterHelp. BetterHelp is totally online. It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. Appointments by phone or video call, even by message. Make therapy work for your lifestyle. Getting started is easy. All you have to do is take a short quiz to get matched with a licensed therapist. If your first therapist isn't thrilling you, don't panic. You can swap therapists with the click of a button. It's basically like Tinder, but for your mental health. You know how Tinder makes you crazy? BetterHelp will help you. I think you'll meet the perfect match. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Sam Roberts today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sam Roberts.
the reason we find that out is because of what happens next. So, so Punk would go to Dynamite before All Out of 2022 and lose to John Moxley in a squash. John Moxley is then declared the undisputed AEW champion, and CM Punk wonders if he's going to be able to compete at all. A week later, Ace Steel gets CM Punk all revved up again. CM Punk signs his name on a contract. We go to All Out with CM Punk getting his rematch. CM Punk is able to triumphantly face John Moxley and once again win the AEW World Championship. This is a really significant night in the history of AEW and probably the best ending to an AEW pay-per-view since we got the debuts of Brian Danielson and Adam Cole. Because at this all out, not only does Punk get this, this crowning moment, but a mystery man had won the casino ladder match which had allowed this mystery man a poker chip that he could cash in for an opportunity at the AEW championship whenever he wanted. As CM Punk stands in the ring holding the title above his head, that masked man who won the poker chip comes out, takes the mask off, and it's MJF. MJF, a superstar who for the last three months had been gone from AEW in a situation that was somewhere between a work and a shoot and one that still to this day is unclear how much of it was true and how much of it is storyline. But it all worked its way into the storyline, unlike so much of what was happening with Punk. And I'll never forget recording that podcast. If you go back and you listen to that podcast, it's, it's, it's like two shows. It was one of the, one of the great times this is what you want when you're running a wrestling promotion that all you want to do is talk about this great angle at the end of a pay-per-view and what's going to happen. And the fact that we are going towards the next chapter in arguably AEW's best rivalry they've ever done, CM Punk versus MJF. And as I'm recording this podcast and talking about all this stuff that's going on, I hit stop on the recorder. I remember I was sitting in a hotel in Orlando airport I guess NXT was on that night as well. And I look at the Discord that all the Patreon members are on. And they go, bro, are you watching this press conference? And I went, what? And unbeknownst to me, that as big as the ending to All Out was, there was an even bigger deal happening at this press conference, at the media scrum. New AEW world champion CM Punk would sit next to Tony Khan with the AEW title. He'd eat a muffin. And instead of talking about MJF at all, he would go on arguably the most infamous rant at this point in the history of professional wrestling, I would say. When he says that he's old, he's tired, and he works with children. And he puts Colt Cabana on blast. And he puts all the rumors of him holding Colt Cabana down on blast. And he brings up all kinds of stuff about Colt Cabana, his mother, his bank account, a ton of crazy stuff. Then he starts going into what's happened with, with, with the elite, with Hangman Adam Page and the, and the problem that he has with, with Hangman going out and publicly talking about not taking advice. 
but also more so about the fact that the 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 elite guys are are working against him that he's responsible in his mind for the only million dollar gate that this company has ever had and he's got people in this company that are working against him and as he's just laying this all out there the owner of the company Tony Khan is just sitting next to him in a state of I don't know. I would love to talk to him one day about what kind of state he was in in that moment. After the media scrum or the CM Punk uh, part of the media scrum, apparently the elite go to see CM Punk in his dressing room to confront what's been said. A brawl breaks out. That date, instead of being remembered for All Out, is only remembered for Brawl Out. The new AEW champion, CM Punk, and the new trios champions, the elite, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, are all taken off television until further notice. We find out later CM Punk had uh, some kind of bicep injury. And the next night on Dynamite, Tony Khan, after just creating an interim title because CM Punk was injured, now has to announce that the trios and the AEW world title are vacated because of events that have to be investigated. And he can't say much more than that. Now on that night, MJF and John Moxley came out and together had one of the great promos in AEW where they basically were saying, we're putting the company on our backs now because it's because of the destruction that's going on in this locker room. Um, a couple of months Back a couple of months later, two, three, four months, I don't know, the elite uh, do end up uh, coming back on television. And 10 months after the initial event, the first episode of a new television show called AEW Collision is announced. First, it's not announced who's going to be on the show. It's not announced where the first taping is taking place, but when we can finally lock it down, it is announced that the first taping is going to take place live from the United Center in Chicago, and CM Punk will be on the show. So 10 months after Brawl Out, CM Punk makes his return to AEW, and there's all these rumors about uh, the Saturday show existing so that there can be a space where the elite and CM Punk do not have to mix at all. CM Punk can be on collision, and those that are cool with CM Punk can be on collision with him, and those that are not cool with CM Punk, you can stick on Dynamite, and uh, we'll just function that way. Um, And first episode of Collision, you know, CM Punk gets a mic, and he's got to say something, right? I mean, the first promo on the first episode of Collision is excellent. Excellent. CM Punk's return promo, just like his original promo. Excellent. He acknowledges the problem. He talks about how soft some of the people are in the AEW locker room. A shot right across the bow. And then moves forward. And the main event is, uh, uh, I want to say it's Samoa Joe and the Bullet Club versus FTR and CM Punk. And that's how CM Punk exists for a bit on Collision. This is only, <laughs> this is only two months ago, three months ago. Barely, two and a half. Uh, CM Punk works with the uh, FTR. 
He works with the Bullet Club, works with Samoa Joe, has a great match with Ricky Starks and feels like he's starting to build something on Collision. More so than anybody else, more so than the commentators, more so than anybody else on the show. CM Punk is the one guy who refers to himself as a Collision guy who separates himself and the people on Collision from anybody else in AEW. He takes out the AEW championship that he left the company with, spray paints an X on it, and says this is the new AEW real world championship. No reference is ever made to the fact that MJF is the actual AEW champion. MJF is on the show with CM Punk. They don't interact at all. We don't talk about it. But eventually, uh, we start to hear people talking again. You know, we get it. We get probably six weeks of collision without a huge amount of gossip until rumors start popping up that Hangman Page was sent home from collision. He was flown out to do something at collision, and then he was told not to come to the building. He was sent home. Head of talent relations, Christopher Daniels, was not allowed in collisions, and it was not allowed at collision. And you hear Dolph Ziggler's brother, Ryan Nemeth, there was a confrontation. He was thrown out of collision. You're hearing all this stuff. We don't know if it's true. This is just what we're hearing, right? And it does seem like as you hear one story, it snowballs, and all these stories start to leak from the set of Collision, and then you hear this other one, and some of them are ridiculous. First time I heard this story, it was ridiculous. I said, what story even is this? They said, you know, Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, he liked a tweet that was not nice to CM Punk. And you go, oh, he couldn't have done that. That's terrible. Twitter, Twitter is ridiculous for wrestlers. I mean, it's one thing if it's, if it's good for business, like a lot of things, like, like any, if you're a, a, an entertainer and you're speaking publicly, if it's not going to further your business, why are we doing it? Just ego? I don't know. But it, I don't know. He likes to tweet whatever. He's friends with the Young Bucks, whatever. But the story is the Jungle Boy is going to take a week off. It's cleared. It's totally fine. But in order to explain his absence from television, he wants to take a bump on real glass. And it's clear. It's totally good. But then CM Punk comes in because it's going to happen on collision. And CM Punk says, we're, we're not doing that. On, on collision, you're not doing a bump on real glass. We don't use real glass here. It's dumb. We don't use real glass. Which honestly, in that instance, Punk is right. It's silly to use real glass on a on a wrestling show. Like... If you're an independent wrestling promotion and you want to do a spot with glass, but you can't afford movie glass or you don't know where to get it, I mean, do what you got to do. But if you're a television show, t TV shows don't use glass. They use sugar glass. It makes sense. But there were rumors. They said, well, no, this is what if it's just CM Punk doing this because he doesn't like Jungle Boy. And you're like, I don't know what we're even talking about anymore. He's telling the kid not to use real glass, right? So this story is out there. And uh, and by now, there's enough CM Punk gossip happening every single week that we've got our This Week in CM Punk segment on this podcast. So then Jungle Boy goes to All In, the biggest show AEW's ever done. He's working the pre-show. He does a fisherman suplex to hook. They land on the windshield of a car. 
And Jungle Boy goes, real glass, cry me a river, right into the camera. And you go, oh boy, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the internet stuff. Now look, in hindsight, Jungle Boy doing a spot on glass and then talking into camera, referencing room like dirt sheet reports of stuff that went down with him and CM Punk is about the dumbest thing you could do on the pre-show of AEW's biggest show they've ever done. You're on the pre-show. There's two things that you should be doing. Selling this rivalry with Hook and trying to get people to buy pay-per-views. That's the only reason the pre-show exists. Trying to get people to buy pay-per-views. Unless on that pay-per-view, you're going to do Jungle Boy versus CM Punk. Why the hell is Jungle Boy talking into camera about CM Punk again? How does that further business? And you might say the same thing. You might go, well, explain to me how CM Punk calling Adam Page a peg warmer after collision goes off the air. How does that help business? It doesn't. That was a stupid thing to do as well. It's a little different because maybe we'll get to a place where we're going to get CM Punk versus Adam Page. If we could figure out how to do CM Punk versus Adam Page, it would be a huge match. Jungle Boy on the pre-show isn't Adam Page or CM Punk. It's a different deal. God bless the Jungle Boy. One day he will be. Not today, though. That's all I'm saying. But then it gets a little worse. So there's multiple different accounts of this. In the Wrestling Observer newsletter, Dave Meltzer did a good job of compiling three different stories, all the same story, but with different details. One was what is reportedly CM Punk's account. The other is what is reportedly Jungle Boy's account. And then a third account of somebody who was there but doesn't have a, a horse in this race and is not a wrestler. So, 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 so apparently, Jungle Boy comes back into gorilla position after his match. CM Punk is wrestling first against Samoa Joe at the pay-per-view. Jungle Boy is wrestling last on the pre-show. It's one after the other. Of course, they're going to cross paths. And apparently, the conversation is instigated with CM Punk saying, do you have a problem with me? After what he saw on the monitor watching Jungle Boy's match. And Jungle Boy either saying no or saying you heard what I said or I said what I said or something was said. And it ends up getting physical. Depending on who you hear, CM Punk pushed Jungle Boy or CM Punk pie-faced Jungle Boy or fists were thrown or whatever. But most accounts of what happened are CM Punk either shoved or pie-faced Jungle Boy. There was a brief altercation. CM Punk immediately put him in some kind of guillotine choke, and then Samoa Joe was there to break it up instantly, as were a bunch of other people. I suppose, I don't know. This is all coming from dirt sheets and rumor reports. Not one bit of that information was told to me by any firsthand account anywhere. So at that point, uh, uh, and I believe this has to have some truth to it because of what Tony Khan said in his statement, there are those that say CM Punk, in a fit of rage, lunged towards Tony Khan, had some kind of physical lunge toward Tony Khan, the owner of the company. A monitor fell over where Tony Khan was, apparently, and CM Punk told him that he quit. 
Now, Samoa Joe tried to cool the situation off. They have to figure out how they're going to start this pay-per-view. The pay-per-view is about to start. It's AEW's biggest thing they've ever done. They're trying to figure out now the pay-per-view is a few minutes delayed. They're figuring out who they're going to get to go on first. They can't get Punk out there. Samoa Joe gets everything cooled off. We go, we do Samoa Joe versus CM Punk. While CM Punk and Samoa Joe are out there having a great match, by the way. I loved it. Jungle Boy, is uh, he exits the building. If you look at that match, CM Punk beats Samoa Joe. He holds his title up in the air. And then he says goodbye to the audience, hard cam side, and salutes. And you go, oh, well, that means, uh, that means much more than I thought it, uh, it, it, it meant when I first saw it. CM Punk exits the building. And uh, the next thing we hear, the rumor mill is going crazy with what's happened. Immediately, somehow people find out that this all went down. Uh, Tony Khan at the media scrum says that there was an incident, that uh, they have uh, started an internal investigation, and that's all he can say about it until this weekend, Saturday around 5 p.m., he issues a statement. And it said that uh, they had released CM Punk from his deals. I guess he had a performer deal and an employee deal. I don't know exactly what he did in an employee capacity. Maybe he was a uh, producer. Maybe he got one of the, you know, uh, uh, executive roles that the Bucks had or whatever. But he had an employee deal and a wrestler deal. According to the statement, both were terminated for cause is what the statement said. Um and then Tony Khan made a statement uh, that aired before Collision on Saturday that said it was one of the hardest things that he's ever had to do, but referenced the fact that he's never been in a situation where uh, he felt that his physical well-being in his life was threatened at a wrestling show and that he nor anyone else that he works with should ever have to feel that way he said he did this not only for the people involved in the situation, not only for him, but for every every person that works both on camera and behind the scenes. This is what he had to do, and he apologized to the fan base uh, that would be upset by this. But as he said, one of the toughest things that he ever had to do, and like that, CM Punk's chapter of AEW history concludes. CM Punk, gone from AEW in one of the most bizarre, complicated, unexpected, tumultuous chapters in wrestling history. I mean, unbelievable to see it all go down from a from a from a third person watching at home perspective. Just really, really interesting. So, you know, so so what's next? First of all, what is Punk's legacy? I think I think CM Punk will always have a very, very, very complicated legacy. I think that there will always be people who support CM Punk for what his intentions are. I think there will always be people who hate CM Punk for what some of his actions have been. Uh, I don't know that there's anyone more polarizing than CM Punk. I mean, from one hand, you go, 
Yeah. I mean, that is one of the jobs of the legends, right, is to make sure that the young guys in the locker room are behaving themselves. They, they were legend of at WrestleMania 14 of Shawn Michaels not doing the right thing. And The Undertaker sitting in gorilla positioning, positioning, gorilla position, taping his fists up so that Shawn knew if he got out of hand, he, The Undertaker would whip that ass when he got backstage. Maybe that's the role that CM Punk thought that he was taking on. That said, did things have to get physical as quickly as they did? Did things have to get physical being initiated with CM Punk. Like, even if his intentions were all right, and even if some of the things that he saw going wrong were indeed wrong, the fact of the matter is, two of AEW's biggest shows, almost year to date, which had all the potential, both, by the way, ending in an incredible MJF angle, both had the potential to carry the conversation about what AEW is doing by itself were completely overshadowed by drama going on behind the scenes and both times CM Punk is involved in that drama. Multiple times. Reports of big-time physical interactions going on behind the scenes. And now Tony Khan's involved. I mean, hopefully, I, 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 I don't think there's much you can do. This will always be part of CM Punk's legacy. The other part of it is he's one of the biggest superstars, biggest draws for his eras ever. When you look at AEW, CM Punk will always be one of the biggest draws that AEW's ever had. CM Punk, MJF the elite, like Cody Rhodes, like they're all there, but CM Punk is part of that conversation. When you look at, at WWE in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, CM Punk is one of the biggest draws of his era. CM Punk is one of those stars that wasn't supposed to make it and made it. But... It wasn't without trouble and without a lot of drama. I hope that this ends up being uh, an ultimately positive thing for Tony Khan. I hope that this is an instance where people, from an outsider's perspective, see him as taking control of his company. And, you know, it getting to a place where even if you run a company that's for the boys by the boys, the boys can't be the ones in charge of their own stuff more often than not. And if they are, there's got to be an agreement that all parties agreed to. If Tony Khan makes any sweeping changes from this, from an outsider's perspective, I'd say, number one, stop going into business for yourself. Not Tony. Tony telling that to everybody. If this isn't a direction that we're going in and you know we're going in it, stop creating rivalries for the sake of rivalries. Stop getting fans excited for matches they're not going to see. It makes no sense. And stop talking to dirt sheets. There's no reason why dirt sheets should know every single step within hours of it happening, happening behind the scenes. It's a destructive thing to a company to, to be, to just that everything 
is leaking the way it's leaking. It's, it's, if I'm in charge, it's got to stop. So where does CM Punk go after this? I mean, sure. There is that, that, that version where he never wrestles again. I think that's very possible. The fact that he sat out for seven years would tell you he's okay not wrestling. And I think that that might be what happens. We might not see CM Punk wrestle again. I think, you know, nothing in wrestling is forever. I think some time could go by and it's not so crazy that he's back in AEW to tell you the truth. I thought when CM Punk, and I'm, I was on record, luckily, I was on this podcast, I said, when CM Punk first got to AEW, I didn't think he should be a full-time wrestler. I didn't think he should be wrestling on TV every week. I didn't think he should be doing promos on TV every week. To me, CM Punk, the fact that he got so big and then disappeared has made himself a commodity, has made himself an attraction. If I'm CM Punk, I'm not wrestling more than four times a year. Every CM Punk match should be, oh my God, we're getting a CM Punk match. And that's the way, honestly, it should have been in AEW since the beginning. Because number one, then you put a high value on every CM Punk match. And number two, if there's any locker room drama, it's okay because CM Punk's not there all the time anyway. We just bring him in for the big matches. Don't talk shit about one of your top draws to dirt sheets and everything will be fine. With that said, WWE is at a very interesting place. Look, the reason that CM Punk is a household name is because of what he did in WWE. As big as that reaction that he got at the first dance was, the biggest thing CM Punk has or will ever do is the pipe bomb promo. There will be nothing bigger that that guy ever does than the pipe bomb promo. There will be nothing bigger than most people ever do in wrestling than the pipe bomb promo was. Am I going to sit here and tell you that CM Punk should go back to WWE full-time? No. No. I don't think that would be good for anybody involved. WWE is in a very interesting place because WWE is, is WWE's on fire right now. And I think that, that there are a lot of people who, as hot as the company is, they want to be able to, do, to enjoy it. They want to be able to, to, to be the ones that are now taking that victory lap and keeping it hot. They're the ones who got it hot. They want to be the ones responsible for keeping it hot. Does WWE need CM Punk? No. No. WWE would be absolutely fine. But would it be a bad thing? Look, all I'm saying is, as divisive as it would be, as complicated as it would be, two CM Punk matches would be incredible for WWE. Two. That's it. And then, this is what I do with CM Punk. I say, Phil, let us sign you for a year, two matches, two stories, and then we'll put you in the Hall of Fame, you ride off into the sunset, and that's it. No drama, no nonsense, two matches. The first match is CM Punk versus Cody Rhodes. CM Punk returns to the WWE as a heel. Cody Rhodes is a babyface. Cody Rhodes beats CM Punk. CM Punk then gives Cody Rhodes the Brock Lesnar treatment. Cody Rhodes beats CM Punk, and CM Punk raises Cody's arm and says, you know what? 
He is the real deal. This is my guy right here. And CM Punk comes out on Raw or SmackDown the next night or the, whatever, the next Friday. And he does a babyface promo for the fans. And now that the fans have gotten a chance to boo him, and now that they've gotten a great story with Cody Rhodes, they got the result that they wanted, and CM Punk acknowledged Cody Rhodes as the man, well, now CM Punk is a babyface. And so now that CM Punk is a babyface, he's got one more match in him. And that match is against Roman Reigns. Now we've got a buildup between a babyface CM Punk and a heel Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns beats CM Punk. CM Punk disappears. And we bring him back to put him in the Hall of Fame at WrestleMania 41. From that point on, we're just selling CM Punk shirts, making CM Punk documentaries, selling CM Punk toys. And that's what we do. We finally put him on an ice cream bar. I, it's so easy for me to just say it. I don't have to deal with any of the people involved. I don't have to figure out the deal. I don't have to do any of it. It's very easy for me to sit here and just say it. But as a fan, oh God, would that make me excited. Speaking of being excited uh, and speaking of returns to the WWE, who would have thought John Cena returns to the WWE for an extended stay and it's not the top story of the week. John Cena is back in the WWE for the fall. Uh, at first, it was announced that he would be at SmackDown on Friday and then he would go over to India to do their uh, special pay-per-view in India where I guess he'll team with Seth Rollins, which is great. So much history between John Cena and Seth Rollins. And even if it was just, we're going to get a John Cena promo on SmackDown, and then at some point, you know, the uh, pay-per-view from India will probably be on Peacock or something. We'll be able to watch that match. That's fine. It's fine. I mean, keep him... Uh, the WrestleMania match with Austin Theory. He did one episode of Raw to promote the Austin Theory match, then he did the match, and then that was it. Fine. But apparently we're getting a lot more. Because... John Cena is listed as being at, I want to say, every SmackDown in September and October, except for maybe this coming SmackDown. I don't think he's going to be there for this coming SmackDown. But I think for all the other ones, he's there for every single SmackDown in September and October. Now, the next WWE pay-per-view is the beginning of October. So I've got to believe, since we got John Cena at Payback, not only in a host role, but then at the last minute announced in a special referee role, I have to believe that we're also going to get him at Fastlane in Pittsburgh. That, that he's going to be involved or have a match. And then I think there could be a Saudi pay-per-view. I don't know if it's official, but like looking at the calendar, because Survivor Series isn't until the end of November. So if he's only doing SmackDown until the end of October, then I don't see him doing Survivor Series in Chicago because that'll be a month of TV that he's not on unless they start advertising him for SmackDowns in November. I know you say, well, how do you know? Maybe there'll be a surprise and he'll be at SmackDowns in November. If he were going to be at SmackDowns in November, they'd want to sell tickets. That's why they've already announced that he's going to be in all of them in September and October. Now, if we hear that he's sticking around and staying through November, then yeah, he'll probably be at Survivor Series too. But I wouldn't be surprised 
if he's going to, if they're doing a Saudi pay-per-view at the beginning of November, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he makes the trip over there for his last match of this run. So what is this run, right? Um, we've, we, we saw him on SmackDown uh, do his promo. Jimmy Uso came out. Heel Jimmy Uso. Don't know where his mind's at right now. Very confusing. I don't know what's up. Whoa, what's up with Jimmy Uso? We'll talk about him in a second. But he interrupts John Cena. John Cena says the wrong Uso quit. Drops Jimmy with the uh, attitude adjustment. And uh, uh, Jimmy goes down. He's mad. He wants to get revenge. He wants this. He wants that. It ends up building up towards the main event of the show, which is not Jimmy, but Solo Sokoa versus AJ Styles. Um, so we're not going to, I doubt we're going to get Roman Reigns versus John Cena again, but could we get Jimmy Uso or Solo Sokoa versus John Cena? I think that's very possible. Um, I also think, right, because I'm looking and to me, these are the names that are possible right now. Grayson Waller is a possible name to have a rivalry with John Cena in the next two months, six weeks, whatever it is. But a big part of me thinks that that feels very, very identical to what you did with Austin Theory. Like, the it doesn't work. Like I get the philosophy, right, that, that the idea is that you bring back the legend to put over the young guy. But if you do that every three months, it loses its luster immediately. Like, if everybody beats John Cena, it doesn't just maintain its value. With every loss, theoretically, it dips a little bit. So sometimes you got to bring it back up. So Austin Theory just beat John Cena. You can't then have Grayson Waller beat John Cena right after Austin Theory beat John Cena because then it means that Grayson Waller is like, oh, he beat John Cena, that's a big deal. But like, so did Austin Theory three months ago. Not taking anything away from Austin Theory, but it's a big difference between like Austin Theory beat the same guy that Roman beat. That's a big deal. Grayson Waller beat the same guy Austin Theory beat. Well, now you're deteriorating as we go. So that's why I would love to see some interaction, more interaction between John Cena and Grayson Waller like we saw at Money in the Bank. But I, I don't think that the jo Grayson Waller's John Cena victory right now. As a matter of fact, I actually think all parties may benefit more if John Cena beats Grayson Waller. Because I do think that you could argue that on this run, we've got to get some John Cena victories. Hopefully we'll get at least two matches, say, in this John Cena run. So if one of them was beating Grayson Waller, I'd be all for that. If we're going into uh, Fastlane and Pittsburgh and it's Grayson Waller versus John Cena and John Cena wins, I'm all for that. I think that it would get, it would it, the fact that it built John Cena up, I think it would get more eyes on the match. I think Grayson Waller would knock it out of the park. And I honestly think Grayson Waller would benefit more from losing to John Cena than he would from beating John Cena. I also think John Cena would benefit more. And I think whoever fights John Cena next would benefit more as well. Um... Bobby Lashley, to me, is a choice. I think that it's very odd to me, the Bobby Lashley Street Profits thing right now. I, I feel like they haven't established whether or not they're heroes or villains. Uh, I, I, I don't know if they even have decided whether or not 
their heroes are villains, and by they, I mean WWE. Uh, but if they are heels, if they are villains, then I think Bobby Lashley representing those guys versus John Cena could be a spot that you go to. I also think that that you could do Solo Sokoa and or Jimmy Uso as great opponents for John Cena. I think Solo Sokoa versus John Cena could be amazing because it could bring us right back to the Umaga-John Cena rivalry. Umaga versus John Cena is one of my favorite John Cena rivalries. You guys know how much I love Umaga. I just one of the greatest of all time. So the idea that you could then, when you have when you have Solo, who channels so much of Umaga's energy, from just the the way he presents himself to the his stoic nature, to the fact that he uses the spike, the idea that the next incarnation of Umaga is now who an older John Cena has to stare down the ring with. That guy, I think that that could be a lot of fun. But there's two members, theoretically, of the bloodline, right? We saw, uh, we saw Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa somehow on the same page. We also saw at Payback the handshake that went down between LA, LA Knight, yeah, and John Cena. I think that that handshake, I thought it was very interesting that L.A. Knight uh, hesitated before shaking his hand. I think he did that on purpose. I think he wants to maintain some edge with his character. I like it. Uh, I think that that handshake was specifically meant to hearken back to the Undertaker shaking John Cena's hand. I think that that, that was 1,000% John Cena taking a moment to be like, hey, you know how everybody called back to the night that The Undertaker shook my hand? Tonight, I shake L.A. Knight's hand. I think that that was what that handshake at the end of that match absolutely was. I don't think that L.A. Knight versus John Cena is the match to have personally because I think we're trying to establish L.A. Knight as a true babyface. I think that when you look at WWE shows, it's not just people our age going to shows, it's families going to shows, it's kids going to shows. Kids got to know who to root for. That's why it's tough to do good guy versus good guy, bad guy versus bad guy. They want to root for somebody, they want to boo someone else. I feel like if you want to go bloodline and you want to give LA Knight the rub, you could easily have the best of both worlds and you go to Fastlane with John Cena and LA Knight, yeah, versus Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa. I think that's how you give LA Knight the John Cena rub. I think that's how John Cena interacts with the bloodline without having it be a rehash of what went down before. Um, I also think that that way, LA Knight could even pin Jimmy Uso. I'd rather John Cena pin Jimmy Uso because I'm a John Cena guy, but LA Knight could even pin Jimmy Uso and it could lead to whatever that next chapter of tension with the bloodline is. And then I think that that for 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 Cena, I think that he goes on a run that is about that. If it's if it's Cena and L.A. Knight versus Jimmy Uso and Solo, for me that really works. But whoever it is, you know, John Cena and whoever are working together for about six weeks, and then at the very end of the run, I don't think it should be a whole storyline, because again, you're talking good guy versus good guy. But I think, I think that maybe two weeks before he leaves. Cena says, I'm only here for another two weeks and there's one thing that I gotta know how it feels. 
there's one thing that I gotta do before I leave. And that's when he challenges Cody Rhodes. I think that 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 if you have John Cena and LA Knight go over Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa, that way you have John Cena standing victoriously, you have LA Knight getting a rub, and you have the bloodline furthering this story. Then it's like, well, what do we do with that energy of John Cena just standing with his hand held high in the air? You go to Saudi Arabia and you go Cody Rhodes versus John Cena. With that's when John loses, and that's when John passes the torch to Cody Rhodes. That's how I'd like to see the next couple months go with John Cena. Uh, I thought John Cena and everything about Payback was an absolute blast. Such a fun, fun pay-per-view. Uh, I, I thought uh, the judgment... I actually think that I enjoyed Payback more than I enjoyed SummerSlam. And maybe that's because expectations were different. WWE has this way of like, when expectations get lessened, they over-deliver. And I thought Payback over-delivered on on just about every aspect. I thought the cage match way over-delivered. I thought that cage match was better than anybody thought it was going to be. I thought it was really a, a great watch, Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus. Um, I was bummed, to tell you the truth, that Shinsuke did not win the title. I felt like like there was this energy that people are ready for Shinsuke to beat Seth Rollins. I think people are ready to see Seth Rollins lose the World Heavyweight Championship, not because they don't like Seth, but because they want Seth to want that title back. I think that that the idea of Shinsuke winning the title from Seth would mean that that's the title Seth wants back. I think the idea of Damian Priest eventually cashing in and getting that title from somebody means that now you have Damian Priest, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Seth Rollins all in the mix for this title, specifically the World Heavyweight title, and Finn Balor not far away going like, hey, I'm jealous of Damian Priest because he's got that title. And now you've established an identity around the world heavyweight title beyond, oh, this is the title they made because Roman doesn't defend or nobody beats Roman. I think that, that once that title starts changing hands, it's going to give it a personality. And I think it'll also help when Seth has to avenge a loss. And I feel like that may be where they're going, right? Seth squeaked one by. He was selling the back at the end of the match big time, which I thought was great. I loved the Nakamura entrance, the animated entrance. That was awesome. And then uh, if you look at the digital exclusive after the pay-per-view went off the air, Nakamura attacked Seth Rollins. So I would imagine as we head to Fastlane, we're going to get another Shinsuke-Seth match. Hopefully Shin wins this one. I'd really love to see what a a villainous Shinsuke Nakamura looks like with the world title. Um, speaking of Cody Rhodes, Cody coming out and announcing that uh, he had used his political pull to get Jey Uso on Monday Night Raw. So now we got Jimmy Uso on SmackDown, Jey Uso on Raw, and they certainly have solved the problem of the, of the bloodline feeding SmackDown, right? Being so SmackDown heavy. Now we're going to get some of that bloodline energy on Raw. And it'll be interesting to see what Jay looks like independently. You know, I think that uh, Roman being gone, Jimmy and Solo on SmackDown, Jay on Raw. I still hope that this all leads to the bloodline all coming back together by the Survivor Series and just being more dominant than ever. 
but we'll see. It could I it could be that Jay is able to form a team, right? Because Cody brought Jay back. Cody's the one that brought Jay to Raw. He said, I hope I'm not making a mistake. Could be that Cody forms a team with Jay and that War Games this year at Survivor Series is Team Cody versus Team Roman. Jimmy and Solo are with Roman and Cody has Jay and two other people, unless they go three on three. But I would think they go four on four, so, you know. So we'll see, but Jay could easily be on a different war game side now that they're on separate brands, right? And then it would it would it would lead us to maybe getting back to Roman versus Cody at WrestleMania. I don't know. Um, the women's title match was great. You know that goes along with the Judgment Day just being dripped in gold coming off of that show, which I thought was the best thing possible. I, Judgment Day is just it's just so so good and. Oh, and before we get fully onto the Judgment Day, shout out to Rey Mysterio, not only a legend, but also the most winningest competitor in the history of Cinnamon Toast Crunch matches. Nobody has won more Cinnamon Toast Crunch matches than Rey Mysterio. So shout out to him, 2-0 and in Cinnamon Toast Crunch matches. That's Rey Mysterio, everybody. That's why you put respect on that legend's name. And speaking of legends, my favorite match on the show by a mile. That tag match was absolutely phenomenal. KO and Sami Zayn versus Finn Balor and Damian Priest was one of the best hardcore tag team matches I've ever seen in my entire life. The best street fight tag team matches I've ever seen in my entire life. It was so good. I left that going, you know what? Damn it. I'm pretty sure Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are the two best wrestlers in the world right now. Is there anything they can't do? When you look at that Ring of Honor class, these are the best wrestlers in the world. Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, whatever you want to call him. Those are the guys. You talk about a Mount Rushmore. Oh, my God. Dude, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. And, by the way, Damian Priest, Finn Balor, Rhea Mami Ripley, and, and Dominic Mysterio, and J.D. McDonough taking that insane bump on the table. Everybody was awesome in this match. But Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have just, have just tapped into a new gear that I didn't know either one of them or, quite frankly, anyone was capable of. They are taking this art form of professional wrestling to a completely different level. So impressed with that match. I, I had such... An amazing time watching it. I absolutely loved it. And just, there's nothing Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn can't do. Two of the, if not the two, best professional wrestlers in the world right now. So good. So good. So good. So good. And speaking of so good, by the way, we spent so long at the top of the show. Again, and this was the problem that AEW is having talking about CM Punk and all the drama behind the scenes that we didn't even mention that WWE was not the only organization with a phenomenal pay-per-view this weekend. All Out, not to be confused with All In, All In was last weekend and All Out was this weekend. And let's be honest, going into All Out, there were AEW fans that were less than enthused with the way the card had developed. But quite frankly... 
just from a watching perspective, it was right up there, man. All Out was a fabulous show top to bottom. Really, really good. Uh, and, and part of me thinks that it, a lot of it was, look, AEW is in this spot that they were in about a year ago where it's like, People are counting him out and people are going, you made this mistake, you made that mistake. And I felt like every single performer on the show was like, no, that's not what's going on. How about I show you exactly why we believe in this product? And I thought that's what they did uh, uh, on the show from top to bottom. Like I said, uh, I thought that, first of all, I the way they handled Collision, right? starting with Ricky Starks coming out there and cutting that promo, which I felt like it was very reminiscent of MJF and uh, uh, John Moxley cutting the promo on the Dynamite after CM Punk did the uh, brawl out thing. Ricky Starks cut that first promo on Collision on Saturday and basically staked claim to the fact that regardless of who was coming and who was going, who was here and who wasn't, that this, whether anybody wanted it to be true or not, was his promotion. And Collision was still, if not more so now, his show. Uh, I loved the twist with Ricky Steamboat coming out saying the dragon was going to sign the contract. Boom, here comes the American dragon. Brian Danielson, you know, just just the greatest professional wrestler walking the planet, comes out, apparently has healed a broken arm, just like that, and is ready to have this strap match with Ricky Starks. I thought the addition of that match, along with everything else that was done on Collision as a go-home show, definitely added momentum going into this show. But I I mean, I, I think the show, regardless of, of hype or go-home or any of that, really stood on its own merit, uh, you know, starting with the... Ring of Honor tag title match, MJF and Adam Cole versus the Dark Order. It, there's just, there's a, there's so much layering in this MJF, Adam Cole story. There's so much there that it is the type of story that I think will continue for a while. And I'm sitting there going like, okay, well, what's, what's next, right? Because on paper, you're going... Well, I guess it's going to be MJF and Adam Cole versus the Kingdom. But you're, you you go, I mean, that's fine for MJF and Adam Cole if they're just having a Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship rivalry. But in terms of a AEW world title rivalry, because let's not forget, MJF is the AEW world champion. What's next? When Samoa Joe walked down the aisle early, and shoved MJF exactly the same way he shoved MJF. It's it's a meme. It's been on the internet. I tweeted it out. Everybody tweeted it out. Everybody remembers when Samoa Joe was the NXT champion at TakeOver, MJF was just a local East Coast independent talent who was extra talent on that day and played the role of a security guard as Samoa Joe came down the aisle and or came towards the aisle, came towards the ring. And there's that classic clip of almost Goldberg-esque Samoa Joe being surrounded by security as he approaches the gorilla position backstage and one of the security guards 
uh, steps in front of Samoa Joe, and Samoa Joe just swats him back like he's a mosquito. And the security guard does have this expression like, whoa, that felt a little unnecessary. That security guard was MJF, a young MJF getting swatted back, and Samoa Joe swatted him as if he were nothing the exact same way at All Out that he did at that NXT TakeOver show. MJF tweeted something about it. This isn't the same kid from Brooklyn. Uh, I think that 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 we're going to get something real special with MJF and Samoa Joe. I think it's going to bring out the best in Samoa Joe. Uh, I don't know if they're pulling the trigger on this now because it's like, man, Samoa Joe was there when we needed him at All In. Let's trust him to be in that position. Or it's just time but I think this is going to be the next great MJF story and I'm very hopeful that it takes place at the same time as this Adam Cole thing I hope that MJF is a babyface best friends with Adam Cole is something that continues on like you can do a couple of stories like the Samoa Joe story and then whoever his next opponent is maybe they do something with the hangman page down the road and MJF after you know page won the battle royal and then you know eventually you finally get to the MJF Adam Cole blow up, which has been sort of simmering, or at least this relationship has been existing the entire time. MJF has been having these stories with these other superstars in AEW. Um, Miro and Hobbs was one of my favorite matches of the night. You know, I think, I mean, the the Omega match and the main event were just outrageously good matches, but. Miro and Hobbs, for all the right reasons, it was everything you could possibly want. The fans chanting meat, big meaty men slapping meat across the ring. Both those guys are such stars. I just, I think the world of powerhouse Will Hobbs and and just think there is so much potential in that guy. I think that, that AEW, I even like uh, Brian Cage's look now. With the long tights and the face paint, he almost reminds me of like a Powers of Pain era warlord. I think that uh, if MJF, I mean, if, if AEW were able to create some big muscle men monsters, I think it would be a, a very, that's something they haven't done, right? And it would, it would help erase some of that feeling that they didn't do the right thing by Wardlow. But I thought that match was phenomenal, uh, intrigued by the end. You know, to see the hot and flexible wife of Miro, formerly known as Lana. I don't know if she's going by CJ Perry or what she's going to be going as, but making her AEW debut. But the Redeemer was redeeming himself. He had separated himself from everything so that he could be the warrior he wanted to be. And now his wife is involved in all this. She made a mistake. He's upset. There's there's intrigue. I love intrigue. What's not to love about intrigue? Uh, the, you know, the Brian Danielson, uh, 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 Ricky Starks match. Fantastic. I hope they make bloody action figures of those two. Uh, Danielson getting the big W, but Ricky Starks coming out looking like a star for sure. For sure. Always good to see Ricky Steamboat get in on the action too. That's always fun. Um, the Omega to Keshida match was something very special. It was a, it was yeah, to me, it was on that list of of just great Kenny Omega singles matches. Uh, the two of them destroyed each other, absolutely obliterated each other. Uh, and ultimately, I thought what was very evident 
to me anyway, was Kenny Omega's investment in Takeshita. At this point in Kenny Omega's career, those matches have got to be taking a tremendous toll on him physically. So the idea that he's going that far to put a guy like Takeshita over, if he's just going out there to lose, and he could lose in 10 minutes. He doesn't have to do everything that he did, but he made it a war so that Takeshita could be a true conquering hero. Um, and yeah, I mean... I mean, I and Takeshita, boy, did he take his licks. That's the type of match that, like, that's why pay-per-view exists. Those matches can only exist on $50 pay-per-views because you can't do them every week. You could do two a year, you know, without, like, destroying yourself. Uh, but awesome, you know, the women's matches, the eight-man tag and everything, but... You know, that main event, uh, that main event was the definition of you don't got to get over, go over to get over. Uh, you know, I, 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 of course, like everybody else, wanted Orange Cassidy to win. That was the, that was the story, right? That Orange Cassidy can finally show everything that he's capable of. I think that they finally put a lot of value into this international championship by the time they got to that match and you, you wanted to see Orange Cassidy get that moment. And well, I feel like Orange Cassidy has been in that position a few times where you're ready for him to have his moment. He doesn't quite get it. But he did get that last shot in the ring of bloodied Orange Cassidy as the as the entire building chanted freshly squeezed at him. And he held his arm up. Um, you know, I I think that I think that it's interesting that uh John Moxley seems to be the one who is called. Whenever Punk goes down, right? Historically speaking, that's now happened twice. Uh, and it almost feels like the move was a move to elevate the international championship, whereas the WWE created the World Heavyweight Championship because the universal title was held up in this story. The the bloodline story is is and Roman's reign is far too valuable to disrupt it unless it's really time to pull the trigger. And I think to an extent, especially as good as the Adam Cole MJF stuff has been, the AEW championship is now sort of tied up in that narrative that if somebody is going to be is, is going to take away the AEW championship from MJF, it has to be a really, really big deal. And those MJF title matches have to be very storyline driven and have to be kind of, you know, weeks, if not months in the making. So what do you do with the rest of the roster? And I think the answer is make the international championship a hugely elevated title, make the international championship, the type of title that can main event a show. And I think that it's a good way to shift John Moxley back into that main event area because I think that a lot of what he's been doing Blackpool Combat Club, while great, hasn't been top of the card stuff. It shifts him back towards the top of the card and also gives him and a whole other group of athletes room to grow in a main event category without having to lose to MJF. I also think if AEW is moving to a monthly pay-per-view model, 
which after All In, they said that they were going to do, you know, they're doing the next pay-per-views October. They're doing one in November. I would I would imagine they're at least going to bi-monthly, if not monthly. They're going to need more main events. The thing about AEW style, it's not that dissimilar from what I just said about Kenny Omega and Takeshita. There's a caliber of, of pay-per-view world title match that AEW has set the bar at. And we got that in the main event of tonight's show. We got that in the main event of All In. It's pretty rare that AEW does a bad pay-per-view, especially from a match quality, especially perspective, especially from a main event perspective. So this could be a good way. If you're going to do monthly pay-per-views, I don't think you can have the world title main event every single pay-per-view because those matches, number one, you can't have, you you don't, I don't think AEW wants to go WWE style where you're doing multiple rematches, where you might do some schmoz finishes, where, where, you know, this match was really just built to lead to the next one. Where it's, it's like you're used to that certain type of match, which you really can't do every month. So if the idea is to elevate the international title, to remind people what a main event player John Moxley is, and to put both of those entities, the title and the superstar, in the main event scene for this new way of doing business, then I think that that they did the right thing. I also think that, you know, showcasing star power at the end of the night, if Orange Cassidy wins, he stands triumphantly, but Mox and the Blackpool Combat Club do not. If John Moxley wins, Orange Cassidy can still stand triumphantly, as can Mox and the Blackpool Combat Club. So what you have coming off of this pay-per-view, which is why ultimately I do think that for the most part, I would have to agree with the results of the big matches, is I think you've got a lot more eyes on Miro and Hobbs. I think you got people looking forward to a potential Samoa Joe and MJF rivalry, which Samoa Joe wasn't even in the conversation of the AEW title before tonight or before this weekend. Uh, you got Brian Danielson and John Moxley and the Blackpool Combat Club all in this top of the card position again. And you've got Ricky Starks and uh, Orange Cassidy who just had these incredible performances that are still top of the card people. I, I feel like AEW did a great service at All Out to their roster by showcasing what they have. I think that that it was make or break time for them and they made. You know, and I think that uh I think that they should be commended for it. That they got hit with a lot of uh adversity going into this show. And once again coming out of it, it's like there's plenty of momentum. Can they capitalize on and maintain momentum? Historically, it's been an issue, I'm going to be honest. But as I speak to you now, coming off of this weekend, there's a good deal of momentum. And personally, as a fan, I hope they hold on to it because I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really, really good. Let's get into uh, news and notes real quick. Uh, also coming off of that pay-per-view, hopefully we are getting this uh, Becky Lynch-Tiffany Stratton match. Uh, you know what? Hopefully we are getting that. I feel like we covered enough news and notes. I want to spend enough time on the emails. If you want to email us, the email is notsamwrestling at gmail.com. 
notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Send your emails in uh, to notsamwrestling at gmail.com, and we'll tackle some of them here on the email segment. Uh, as long as you watch the product, as long as you speculate wildly, as long as you don't fantasy book Randy Orton, then we'll be fine. Josh writes in, I previously sent an email asking how WWE continue acting like Judgment Day is a top heel faction when they lose every week. Giving Priest and Balor the tag t titles is one way to do it. What are you talking about? I was hoping Finn would win at SummerSlam, but I'll take this. Where do you think they go from? They're not. How are the Judgment Day not a top heel faction? How are the Judgment Day not a top act? How is Rhea Ripley not one of the most dominant champions? How is Dominic Mysterio not keeping his title every time he defends it? How is Finn Balor not one of the top stars in the industry? How is everything the Judgment Day does not gold? Well, their win-loss record, stop, stop. Where do you think they go from here? They keep winning. All they do is win, no matter what. Seth from the UK Love the show and the effort uh, you all put into producing quality content. There's no you all, homie. It's the last professional, okay? Uh, my question is about the tag team Pretty Deadly. Yes, boy! I'm hoping that when fit to return, the duo are giving an impactful return, similarly to how they entered NXT. Do you feel this heel tag team should be... How do you feel this heel tag team should be used, perhaps continuing where they left off, and helping Austin Theory or perhaps Grayson Waller. Um, no, I don't, I, you know, I I feel like they're a top act. I, I, and I think that, I think that they're going to be in a good spot um, because the tag team division is being elevated significantly. I think Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn holding those titles from WrestleMania until now brought things up. I think the Judgment Day is bringing things up. I think the tag team division is in a very, very good place. I think the Street Profits finding a new identity is a good thing. I think I, if it were me and, and Pretty Deadly's coming back, I'm going to put them with the New Day, and I'm going to redo, because they had a magical match at in, in NXT. At whatever NXT pay-per-view that was, it was awesome. I would redo that on the main roster to reintroduce everybody to Pretty Deadly and let everybody know we got something very special here. Uh, Kanjay, uh, which show do you think was better all in London or WrestleMania 39? If you're talking about both nights, I, well, WrestleMania 39, I, you know, I think the stories were better. Also, since Jay Uso is now on raw, do you think Jay and Sami Zayn will reconcile and reunite or stay separated? I don't know. I think that that's interesting, right? I think that they could, I think they won't like, I think they'll acknowledge the fact that they're on the same show. I think that they'll be the least pass each other by. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I think that they could easily go either way. I think that there is, they're definitely, I would think they're definitely keeping Jey Uso babyface. I think there is a version, right now, unless they're going to do like Sammy KO and Jey Uso versus the Bloodline, which is possible, I'm more intrigued in the short term by what the relationship is between Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso in the short term. And then having, I'd like to see Sammy and Jay be the kind of overarching thing around it, but we'll see. Ultra Boy, do you think Darby Allen will turn heel like Jack Perry? If yes, then when? No, I, I think Darby Allen's just going to keep being Darby Allen, and he's smart too. There'd be no reason for Darby Allen to turn heel. None. Like, none. 
Also, do you who do you think will dethrone Rhea Ripley? I'm pretty sure it's between Becky Lynch and Liv Morgan. Well, I think if they can elevate uh, uh, Shayna Baszler, I think that, that would be really, really interesting. I don't know if she'll dethrone her, but I think that, that would be a credible threat. Uh, I think keeping Becky away from the women's championship is intentional. I don't think it'll be Liv Morgan, uh, but I do think that they can build Liv into a credible opponent for sure. Uh, Matt, uh, here's a chance you already addressed in your main segment. Oh, uh, if you, there's a chance you already addressed it. Okay. 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 How much is the irresponsible and sensationalist reporting from so-called wrestling journalists to blame for Punk's departure from AEW? Obviously, they're not 100% of the reason he's out, but at the same time, I can't see how there's 0% to blame for it either. What say you, last professional broadcaster? I don't blame people that reported on it at all, to tell you the truth. I'll, I'll never blame somebody for speculating wildly. If you want to have a conversation about whether or not people should call themselves journalists if they're not adhering to journalistic principles and standards, we can have that conversation. But I think that's a totally separate conversation. I think that where... That fits into the CM Punk and AEW stuff has more to do with what I was talking about on the main segment, which is I think the issue is not how it's being reported. I think the issue is the amount of gossip and information that's being leaked out of AEW. I hold the people in the company that are leaking information for no reason much more responsible than people reporting on it. You know, if somebody from the inside says, hey, this is going on. And this is what you do. You run a website to, you know, post scoops, post scoops. You know, I'm not going to be mad. Uh, Nicholas writes in, uh, how about we go long-term storytelling with Cole and MJF and make it last until all in 2024? I, you know, I, fine. I know this email section is too short, but I think you may have already had an idea or two. If you feel like giving us the gift in honor of a special episode, I'm not booking a year storyline for MJF and Adam Cole. We're just figuring it out now, and AEW is just figuring out who they are as a company now. Because if I was going to book a year-long storyline for MJF and Adam Cole uh, two days ago, I would have told you CM Punk was involved somewhere along the road. So I'm I, I'm not booking a year-long storyline in AEW until AEW is kind of standing on its own two feet from a storyline perspective. They're going to be around. Company's not in any danger, but in terms of, like, figuring out where the story's going, I don't think that's a fair thing to do right now. Uh, ben, I didn't watch Cody's AEW heel run with this look, but given the Homelander vibe is clearly going through, in the heel turn... He'd have to do eventually. Would we see a similarly brutal kind of character to Homelander? I don't know. I mean, for Cody Rhodes to eventually turn heel, uh, I don't know if it'd be brutal. Maybe as much as it's like more. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to really think about that to tell you the truth. I don't want to think about it right now. Uh, Mike, uh, I loved your tribute to Bray Wyatt. Thank you. I have a couple questions for you regarding Bray. What are the odds that he receives the same treatment as Eddie Guerrero and gets inducted into the Hall of Fame in Philadelphia? Uh, I think that the Wyatt family should go into the Hall of Fame. I think uh, this year it would make sense to put the whole Wyatt family in. 
and to have Eric Rowan accept on behalf of Brody and Bray. And I guess Braun too, right? I would put the, I would put the Wyatt family into the Hall of Fame this year because I think Brody should be honored as well. Also, I saw some fans posting this all over Twitter that Bo Dallas should come back and continue the Uncle Howdy story and take over Bray's character and story. I think that would be a mistake as there's only one and only Bray Wyatt, and I don't think anyone could accomplish this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, what? No, 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 I wouldn't burden Bray with that. I mean, I wouldn't burden Bo with that. And yeah, I would agree. I, the whole genius of Bray Wyatt is so much of it was coming from his brain. Everywhere you went, people were talking about what a creative genius Bray Wyatt was. So why would you then go, let's take what ideas he had and let's keep doing them? Like, I, no, I, no, I think that'd be a terrible mistake. Derek, uh, hi, Sam. We see that Trick Williams is getting a chance to shine as a single star. In your opinion, do you think he should be the one built up to take the NXT title off Carmelo Hayes? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if people want to see Carmelo versus Trick. Uh, I feel like people love Carmelo and Trick. I'd almost rather see Carmelo lose the title, go up to the main roster, and Trick is left on his own, and then Trick has to continue on the journey that Carmelo is on, and Trick becomes the champion after that. When left to his own devices, Trick really shines. That's what that's probably more what I'd like to see. Right now, if you ask me today. Matt says, uh, love the Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk tribute. Sad events, of course, but I really appreciate the respect and honor you use discussing both men and their impacts on pro wrestling. Thank you. I appreciate it. Very well done tributes. Thank you, man. Um, on another note, a random fun question for you. Which fake Brothers of Destruction has the best legacy in your opinion? Fake Undertaker or fake Kane? Not the blue run. Not the blue one running around the indies right now. Um, good question. Fake Kane, did he? Fake Kane didn't main event one of the big four for sure. I don't even think he main evented a pay per view at all. I think he had one pay per view match. I don't think it was the main event. Fact is, Fake Undertaker. Not only was he associated with Ted DiBiase, but he main evented SummerSlam with Leslie Nielsen there. So I would definitely say Fake Undertaker's the better fake brother of destruction. But that's a great, I love that question. LaToya, what's the hap, Sam? Just saying, uh, can we please take a moment to recognize how awesome The Miz truly is? I agree with that statement 1,000%. I, I don't want to tell him I said that, but I agree with it. Which of his impressions are your favorite? By the way, RIP Bray and RIP Terry Funk. Um, I just like The Miz, man. I, I don't know. I mean, I think when The Miz... The Miz's level of commitment is just second to none. I, 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 I'm glad you just wrote in to respect The Miz. I think he deserves more. Um, who's this from? Chris, I'm a new fan who loves the podcast and speculates wildly. Oh, that's great. I have a money in the bank cash-in scenario that I was wondering if has ever happened. Let's speculate once Seth and Nakamura finish the match, regardless of who wins. Priest comes out to cash in. Once the cash-in match starts... JD and Balor come out to help and get caught interfering and Priest loses his cash in and Judgment Day turmoil continues. Uh Yeah, I mean I like I'm never for wasting a cash in. So, I don't know if the juice would be worth the squeeze in that instance, but it's an interesting scenario. It's not I, I'm not totally opposed. Spencer writes in, I've re just started listening recently and enjoy listening so much. Thank you. 
Uh, I'm a big fan of discussing dream matches. That's why I love the Ultimate Show so much. And Shawn Michaels is, of course, someone that in dream match conversations all the time. Who do you think would be his ultimate dream match opponent? AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan? That's a great question. If I could have... I. Hmm. Brian Danielson is probably my favorite wrestler of all time, just in terms of wrestlers. He's probably the best wrestler ever. But in terms of having a match with Shawn Michaels, I I think AJ Styles in his WWE champion era versus Shawn Michaels 2005 would probably be the coolest thing ever that would that would probably be my answer to your question 2005 Shawn Michaels maybe even 2008 Shawn versus WWE champion era AJ Styles that would be my Shawn dream match good question first time writer here from Zach Zachary I can't get this out of my head the Miz and LA Knight did such good impressions of each other I want more the Miz during his LA Knight impression promo said that was easy I'd love LA Knight to challenge him and say it's easier to be a total jerk all the time. The bickering between each other would lead to a match where they try to prove each other wrong. LA Knight impersonating The Miz versus The Miz impersonating LA Knight. Uh, I don't think now is the time for LA Knight to do that. I know it's not the craziest thing in the world, okay? If done on TV, maybe on it. Okay, this is when I would give it to you. If it were October and it were Halloween, I would do a Halloween episode of Raw where I would allow you to have this match happen on television, not on a pay-per-view, not on anything except for Halloween as a goof. I'll give it to you because it would be entertaining. All right. Uh, last email from Cody. Adrenaline in my soul. Oh, different Cody. Uh, I've been watching wrestling since WrestleMania 24. Wow. I've only recently... I was there, by the way. Edge versus Undertaker. I've only recently started watching your show after WrestleMania 39 earlier this year. That's sick, dude. My question is, did you ever fall out of wrestling? If so, what got you back in? Personally, I fell off after Money in the Bank 2020 and came back later that year when Dolph Ziggler challenged for the WWE Championship. Um, thanks for the time and entertainment, Cody. Cody, I appreciate the email. It's a great question. Um, and I'll tell you, I never fell off. Never. I started watching wrestling as a kid. My active memories start forming probably in the build to WrestleMania 7. So coming off of WrestleMania 6, heading towards WrestleMania 7, I specifically remember Royal Rumble 91 seeing uh, Ultimate Warrior lose to Sergeant Slaughter because of the Macho Man's interference. I have dashes of memory before that. Um, and then in terms of like, I'm all in, this is my life. By the time we got to SummerSlam 1991, it was my whole life. I was all in completely. There was no turning back. I was watching VHS tapes all the time of everything that had come before it. And I, I and since then I've been in. There's never been a time where I've been out. I mean, you know, I I watched all throughout my childhood. When I by the time I got to middle school, high school, it was the Attitude Era. It was the best. 
when I went to college, my first night in Syracuse University, I watched my Hulk Still Rules DVD. I'll never forget it. My roommate went out. I didn't. I watched Hulk Still Rules on DVD. I ordered the pay-per-views. I went to uh, a house show at the uh, uh, War Memorial, I want to say, in Syracuse. Uh, went to rest my first, actually, my first, my first live WrestleMania would have been WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden. I drove back from Syracuse to go to WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden. Went to WrestleMania 24. Then uh, nonstop from 29. 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. Obviously didn't go to 36. Was I there for... No, I didn't go to 37 either because I was the half stadium. And then 38, 39, I was there for. Um, so yeah, dude, no, great question. Never fell off. I love this stuff. Somebody uh, tweeted me while I was tweeting about uh, payback. They said, you know, if you loved radio, doing radio as much as you love wrestling, you'd be making more money. Which, you know, I don't need to... under explain how contracts work, but I don't get paid per show. You know, I get paid a salary to do it. No, regardless, my response was, sir, I didn't say sir, because I hate it when people say sir. You will never love anything as much as I love wrestling. And that's not to say that I love my family more than I love wrestling, but I will tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love wrestling more than he loves his family. That's how much I love wrestling. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Stay tuned for the Not Sam Wrestling merch drop coming in less than a week. We'll see you then. Have a good one, everybody.